Sisters, come together now, come together now. It's time to help each other out, help each other out. Welcome to the SOAR Podcast. This is a platform for sisters to gather and have some empowering conversations. And in the process of these conversations, we help each other overcome some limiting beliefs. I want you to join the conversation. I appreciate your likes, subscribes, and comments. This podcast is sponsored by Stephanie Brown Coaching. If you have any limiting beliefs that are holding you back, feel free to contact the coach at sociotap.com forward slash Steph Brown MD. Hey, hey, I'm Dr. Stephanie, a life coach and a physician and the host of the SOAR podcast, a place where black women get to tell their stories about overcoming limiting beliefs. One week, my conversation with a college dean on colorism may spark activism. And the next week, you might feel like a fly on the wall, listening as I hold space for a teacher who's fighting to hold back tears. My guests are diverse, like beautiful feathers that make up the wings of our sisterhood. Hello, hello. Welcome, everyone, to our podcast this evening. Welcome, Dr. Diana. Thanks for having me, Dr. Stephanie. Good to be here again. (laughs) Yes, it's good to have you here again. Well, I'm really excited about our topic. We're going to be talking about menopause, relieving menopausal symptoms and claiming your life back. Yes. Yes. Yes, we all want to claim our lives back from whatever it is. But I wanted to just briefly tell my guests, my listeners, a little bit about Dr. Diana. So Diana T. Lake, also known as Dr. Di, is an emergency medicine physician, a fitness and weight loss coach, a menopause wellness expert, a best-selling author, speaker, autism parent advocate, and founder of Dr. Di Fitness. So Dr. Diana is passionate about helping you get your life back. There's nothing wrong with desiring balance back in your body. There's still hope to relieve your menopausal symptoms and regain your quality of life. And throughout the broadcast, we'll have information on how you can contact Dr. Diana specifically. But tonight is for us, and I really want us to ask questions. So feel free to put your questions in the comments because we're going to answer as many questions as we can. But we're just going to start off with the basics. So what is menopause? What's the definition? Oh, that's a great question. So the definition basically is when you've had no menstrual period for 12 consecutive months. The average age for a woman to hit menopause where she's absolutely having no periods for at least a year is 52 in the U.S. So some women will get it a little earlier. Some women will get it a little later, but that's your average age. So that's what it is. Okay. And I know a lot of times we hear the words menopause, but we also hear the words perimenopause. Can you just explain the difference and is there a difference in symptoms? Okay. So is it basically perimenopause is your stage lead is, I don't want to say precursor, (laughs) but it's kind of like the stage leading to menopause. It can be a long phase. Some women, it could be six months where they're having, you know, irregularity in their periods where the periods may be getting, you know, farther apart. And then 
they go to having no period. Some women, it could be years of being in this stage where maybe they're having their period instead of every 28 or 30 days, now it's every 45 days. Some women will even have more frequent periods. So it's very erratic. It's an erratic time. And each person will really, you know, their symptoms are going to look slightly different. Most women that are going through perimenopause will have a variety of the menopausal symptoms, may not have the full spectrum, but you may see the hot flashes popping up. You may see warm rushes where you don't go through like the full-blown hot flash where you feel warm. You may have mood swings. And actually, a lot of the symptoms depend on if you started your life having slightly more estrogen than progesterone. Some women start life with more estrogen than progesterone, like their ratio. Other women start with more progesterone than estrogen. Depending on who you are, and just across the spectrum, you can fall anywhere in that spectrum. So depending on who you are, your symptoms will show differently. So say, for example, if you are a woman who you started puberty and you just had a higher percentage or higher ratio of progesterone over estrogen, normally progesterone is a, is a mood stabilizer. So when you get into your mid-30s, the number is 35. So from 35 to 50, you have this drop. So around mm-hmm. 35, you'll start seeing that drop in your reproductive hormones. By the time you hit 50, it's like nadir, right? It's down to barely nothing. So it's very, very low. So this is the deal. Your symptoms you have in perimenopause will really depend on if you were the person with a higher estrogen to begin with. So when that drop starts around 35, because you already had a lower progesterone and a higher estrogen, as both of them start to dip, the progesterone is lower to begin with. So it will be even lower now. As you get to your 40s, your late 40s, your early 50s, your progesterone is just almost non-existent. So you're the person that would have all the mood issues because you already started with a higher estrogen. So your estrogen is is lower, but not as low as your progesterone. Your progesterone is just like in the tank. (laughs) So what happens there is if you're that person who started life with a lower ratio of progesterone anyway, once you hit perimenopause, all the mood stuff comes up. You're tough to be around. That's a nice way to put it. (laughs) You got yeah. mood swings. You're snipping. You're, you know, you're just not yourself. You're like, who is this person I've become? You know, your moods are just all over the place. So that's one of the big ones for progesterone. When it's really deficient, you'll have the mood swings. You know, all the other things you'll still see the hot flashes, the breast tenderness, the vaginal dryness, and things like that. But the, you know, vaginal dryness would be more for the estrogen person, right? The person who started off with more progesterone and less estrogen, when they start to drop because they begin life with lower amount of estrogen to begin with, their estrogen drops even lower. So now for those people, you'll see the sexual stuff like vaginal dryness, loss of libido, you know, so all these different things, each woman will have a different degree of it depending on what she started with, with her progesterone and estrogen. So that will help to understand why one person might have palpitations, anxiety, you know, all this mood stuff. Another person may have more just hot flashes, not interested in anything sexual, vaginal dryness, painful intercourse, like all that stuff. That's what makes you have one set of symptoms versus the other. So how would you know if you were a person who started off with more estrogen or more progesterone? 
would it be that, you know, you started your periods earlier or later, or you had a different experience with your periods, or would you just not know? So in general, women who have more estrogen when they're beginning tend to be shorter stature. They tend to have a fuller body, wider hips, bigger breasts, voluptuous, more voluptuous looking, you know, physique. And this is all generalization, obviously, you know, from person to person, it may vary. Women who tend to have more progesterone starting off a taller, athletic build, broad shoulders, you know, they have like a taller stature. So that's in general. They tend to also have longer bones and things like that. It doesn't mean a short person (laughs) can have, you know, a higher progesterone, but just in general, if you look at epidemiology or of these different groups of women, or you look at just, you know, demographics of who tends to be more progesterone prone or higher estrogen uh, prone. So, yeah. Yeah. So I agree with the Facebook user that that is really interesting information because they did not teach me that in medical school. (laughs) Yeah. So So with women that tend to, you know, now, you know, part of, I'm not the itty bitty titty committee, but I'm not voluptuous either. I would think given my body structure, probably on the higher progesterone side, just based on what I'm saying, but you would really have to do testing to know. The only other thing, though, is by the time most of us do testing, our numbers are so low anyway that Mm -hmm. it doesn't really help because you're going to be under what's considered a normal range. And all Mm -hmm. the normal ranges for these tests are for women in their 20s. Don't ask me why. (laughs) (laughs) So that's what they consider the normal range in the lab. Like if you go and get your tests. The normal range for your progesterone or your estrogen or your DHEA or your testosterone or, you know, your your other, you know, like your LH or FSH, like all those different hormones, all of them, like the normal ranges are for like an early childbearing woman. So that's what's considered normal. By the time Mm -hmm. you're past 35 and you start to drop, those numbers naturally start to drop, automatically you're going to be out of range. Mm. Wow. Yeah. That is really interesting. So. If we just talk about menopausal symptoms in general, let's just list all of the menopausal symptoms. I'll start. Definitely, you already talked about hot flashes and mood swings. And in the post, we also talked about that weight gain that happens in the midsection of the body. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. The brain fog, kind of like, you know, forgetting, walking into a room. I think the other day I was trying to come home and we have a digital pad on the door and I could not remember the numbers. I punched the numbers in all that. I could not remember the numbers to get in the house. I had to just put my hands where I remember them going (laughs) to open the door because the numbers wouldn't come to me. But what are some of the other symptoms of menopause? So those are good ones. Those are good ones. Definitely hot flashes, warm rushes. Mood swings, right? Mood swings is a big one. Anxiety. Some people will have anxiety attacks or palpitations. The mental fog is a big one. Sleep. Sleep is huge. And the reason the sleep is disturbed is because you've got this hormonal surge going on all the time. You're hot, you're cold, you're hot. You have all these temperature changes. It's waking you up at night. You're literally waking up in sweat, like your clothing soaked. Right. You who sleeps if that's happening, (laughs) you know, it's just no way you can have good sleep if all that's going on during the evening. I mean, during the night while you're trying to rest. So sleep disturbance is huge. 
But then the other problem with sleep is it also makes you irritable. The next day, if you haven't gotten enough rest, you're going to be irritable. Your focus is going to be off. And then the forgetfulness is already part of it. So poor sleep plus lack of focus plus forgetfulness, you just feel out of body. You know this is not who you are. You know this is not your normal way of being. And then, as I talked about before, your testosterone drops as well, right? So Mm -hmm. you'll have the libido issue. Basically, you'll have the decrease in desire for any kind of, you know, sexual interaction. You have the vaginal dryness. So what happens there is intercourse becomes painful or uncomfortable. So if you know it's going to be uncomfortable, then you don't necessarily want to even start, right? You don't want to try. You don't want to do anything. But then that general desire isn't there either for some of the women, right? And that if, when your testosterone's low, when your estrogen's low, you'll see that lack of desire that will be more prominent. So those are some of the additional symptoms. The mental fog, for sure. Breast tenderness. So that would be a lot of the big ones. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Those are definitely the big ones. So as we're talking about how to, well, first, before we get into how to get your life back and what we can do about these symptoms, what is the typical length that this lasts? Because I remember talking to <laughs> you. Like, I don't have to deal with this. <laughs> That's a great remember, question. <laughs> yes. I remember talking to a 70-year-old woman who was still having hot flashes. And I was like, really? Um, <laughs> So, yeah, I need to know this. (laughs) So that's the other thing. It's a big spectrum. This is not a condition where you kind of have textbook numbers like, okay, by the time you hit 60, you should be done. A lot of people are done by the time they get into their 60s. You know, your early 50s is when you're in full blown and you see the symptoms and a lot of people are really struggling with it into their early 60s. I had a client that was 73. And she came to me only because she was still sexually active. Good, thank God for her. (laughs) And she was like, yeah, she was like, everything's gone. The only thing that's still a problem is the vaginal dryness. That was her only menopausal uh, symptom she was still having at that age. So everything had resolved. She wasn't having hot flashes, mood swings, any of those things. Oh, another one I forgot to mention is fatigue. Mm -hmm. Fatigue feeling drained, feeling exhausted, like you just did a two-hour workout. You know, you just constantly feel drained. That's another one that a lot of women will feel as they start to go into perimenopausal, into the menopausal space. So as far as when will it end, it's really a spectrum. So it's going to vary from person to person. But most people, by the time they're going through the latter part of the 60s, will see a significant drop in the symptoms. So some people will just let it ride. A lot of our moms just kind of let it ride, right? They're like, look, some of them didn't even know there was something they could do about it. They thought this is life. This is how it is. This is what you experience mm-hmm. as a woman at this point in your life. And they just dealt and endured and, <laughs> you yeah. know, just went through life with it. One lady came to the ER the other day with a little fan right here. <laughs> <laughs> it was like buzzing. I was like, what is that noise? She's like, oh. It's my personal fan. <laughs> I was like, I, I understand. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And you just find remedies and you just find little things to kind of get you through. And that's it. So that's what you do. 
And I think what you said about our mothers, I think a lot of times our mothers didn't really talk a lot about the different changes, menopause. I remember even the conversation about, like, I know now they have parties when you start your menstrual cycle. My experience was totally like it was not talked about. It was just kind of like, you know, I felt shame around it. So neither was menopause. None of this was kind of talked about. So I'm glad that we're having this conversation and we're opening it up to people to have this conversation. So feel free to put any questions or comments that you have in the chat because this is our conversation. You had a great segue into they didn't know what to do. So now that we know better and can do better, (laughs) what should we do? Okay. So one of the big things, you know, there are... A lot of people will use over-the-counter creams, especially for the vaginal dryness issue. They'll use lubrication. They'll use creams. They'll, you know, use oils. I really talk to people about the oils because you've got to figure out where these oils are coming from. (laughs) Lord, you know, people out here just pulling things off the internet. (laughs) You know, I saw this Mm -hmm. on the internet, you know. And like, okay, let's just see what's in it. Right. So people are doing things that they feel is going to somehow, you know, alleviate the issues that they have. Sometimes they're using the fans, like I was mentioning Mm -hmm. with the one lady. All of those are reasonable things you can do. Another thing that you can do is changing your meal plan. Because when you do an anti-inflammatory meal plan where you're getting, you know, your omega-3 acids, right? So you're having like a really good meal plan that's low in sugar, that's low in processed foods. So just changing your meal plan is one of the things you can do just naturally as a natural way to improve your symptoms, right? So having sweet potato, you know, nuts, avocado, all the things that have like the healthy fats Mm -hmm. in them, you want to get those, but obviously you want to watch the calories as well. You don't want to just go eating all the healthy fat things in the world, (laughs) you know, like your salmon, your sea bass, fish, will give you a good source of omega-3 acids and anti-inflammatory properties like your antioxidants. So mm-hmm. all those things, like just, you can literally just Google anti-inflammatory meal plan. What does that include, right? It'll tell you all the things that are rich in omega-3 acids that are rich, you know, in healthy fats and things like that. You want to add that to your meal plan. And remember I'm saying, I'm not saying a diet, this is not a diet. This is just the way you eat, <laughs> right? It's, this is just your way of living. This is just what you do. Keep it clean. Keep it low in sugar. Make sure that it's got a lot of healthy fats. So your nuts, your avocados, your you know your fish. The fish could be sometimes a leaner fish like cod or perch, orange ruffy or haddock, you know, flounder. Or it could be if you just want something that has more flavor or the fattier fish tend to be more flavorful, like your salmon, Mm -hmm. your sea bass and things like that. So you can play around with them, but all those things will really help with just improving your overall state of reduced inflammation. So that'll help you. And then of course, if you wanted to add something else, doing a supplement that boosts your progesterone, your testosterone, estrogen, those would be other ways you could go at it as well is doing the supplements. So are the supplements injections or pills or creams? So there are a bunch of different ones. You've got pellets that you can insert. (laughs) Vaginally? Yes, you've got pellets, you've got creams, you've got oils. So what I prescribe, and so what I do, you have to get a prescription from a physician. 
that has done work in this area and is an expert in doing this particular work. So you would get a prescription for what I do. It's actually bioidentical hormones. So bioidentical mm-hmm. hormones mean hormones that are exactly the same chemical structure as the hormones our own bodies produce. So that's different from the synthetic ones. There are a bunch of different hormones out there. So know which ones you're getting. And the bioidentical hormones, also there are six pharmacies in the United States that do compounding chemicals. So the bioidentical hormone, is a they have to make it for you. So it's not sitting on the shelf somewhere. You prescribe it, they create it for the patient, specifically for that patient. And it's in an organic solvent. That's the other thing. Look at what solvents your particular product you're using is in. You want to make sure it's an organic base. So a lot of times the ones that are on the shelf, you want to know what preservatives, you know, you just kind of want to know what you're using. So if you get something that's organic base, something that's from a compounding pharmacy and it's made for you, you use it over the 30 days or 90 days or whatever, you know, size bottle you have. And you basically, when you're done, you get a refill. And uh, for the oils, it comes in a bottle and you just drop it on your forearm and you rub your arms together. The skin is a really good way to get the medication to absorb into your system. So it's on your skin. So you just wow. do the dabs. Yeah. So you put the dabs on like the drops and then you rub it in. And the other ones, if you're doing testosterone as well, you put the testosterone on the lower belly. If you're doing progesterone, you'll put them on the inner thighs. Okay. This is really cool. I mean, when I the last time I researched bioidentical hormones, I knew about creams and some of the other things, but I did not know about oil that you just rub on your skin. Yes. I think that's so cool. It's pretty simple. <laughs> and they come in really small. You can get like an 8 ml bottle or you can get the 17 ml bottle depending on how much you need. And actually, a lot of the women that I work with, some of them might only need two drops, you know, twice a day for the estrogen, one or two drops a night, you know, for the progesterone. And for most women within eight weeks, their symptoms are gone and they just stay on that low dose because that's all they needed. So just mm-hmm. the minimum amount you need to, for your symptoms to go away. Oh, wow. We have a question. And the question is, what are your thoughts about bio HRT implants. Implants? HRT implants. So what's in, it depends again, what's in the implant. So we have implantable, so many implantable devices now, even for teenagers. We have hormones that they put in their arms. So it depends on what's in it. That would be my answer. So if you're working with an OBGYN or another physician that does menopausal work, because not everyone who's uh, prescribing menopausal supplements or OBGYN, like I'm an emergency medicine physician, but I've done training to do this specific work with menopause, right? So make sure the person that you're working with who's prescribing the implant for you can tell you what's in it. Is it just progesterone only? Is it a combination of progesterone and estrogen? So you need to ask that person, what is it that you're getting? So you know, and then it it could be a combo. It could be just a single drug in there. So you want to talk to them to find out what it is that you're getting for the implant. Mm -hmm. And it's my understanding that these medications would be prescribed after your blood work is done and, or is and they see and you see like if your testosterone is low or how low it is 
or how do you figure out what to give what person? Okay. So in my practice, when people come to me, the assumption is they're already low. If you're in your 40s, most of the women coming to me are mid 40s to early 60s. All of them are well beyond 35. So the assumption is you're already low as far as where you are, especially since you're already showing symptoms, which is what brought you in. Usually we're not testing you when you walk in the door. So testing will happen, number one, only if you're in full menopause, because some people are coming to me, they're not in full menopause yet. So we don't test perimenopausal women because their hormones are still all over the place, uh, kind of erratic. If you test a perimenopausal woman, you're not going to get reliable results. We'll do the urine test. We'll do a 24-hour urine, collect the 24-hour urine. You get the container, you know, the lab sends you everything with instructions. You collect the urine. The morning of, you'll take some of it, put it in a container, send that to the lab. So we walk you through the whole process. And then we'll see what your numbers are. Usually, we're testing after you're feeling great. We're testing maybe eight weeks in, 10 weeks in, when all your symptoms are gone, you're like, Dr. die, I feel fantastic. <laughs> we're like, okay. Once you feel great, that's when you want to do the testing to see where you are at that point. Because when you come in and you're symptomatic already, you're already low. We know that. <laughs> we don't need to okay. test to know that. We know you're already low if you're in your 40s, 50s, whether you're having just one symptom or seven symptoms, your number okay. is expected to be low. It's just the trajectory of what happens naturally with the hormones. You know, there are graphs literally that show over time women that have been tested. Once they hit that 35, it starts going down. And then by the time you get to like, I'm 47, (laughs) trust me, I'm having some things, (laughs) right? And it's like, so once you get to the point where you're hitting 50, then you really start to see significant symptoms. And at that point, a lot of times people are showing up like, okay, what can I do about this? So we treat you, we do the prescription, you start to do the oils within the two or three month period, you feel amazing, symptoms are gone. Uh, Usually I'll check with them at 30 days, 60 days, some people even 45 days, just to see if they're having any issues, you know, because I want to make sure that things are going in the right direction. And assuming that they're still continuing to improve around that three month period, when they're feeling fantastic, then if they're fully menopausal, we'll do their urine tests and see where they are. And the interesting thing is a lot of times when we do the test, they may still be low when we get the results. From remember, the results are comparing you to a 27 year old woman. (laughs) (laughs) Let's remember that. So it may still be low, but guaranteed it's better than where you began because your symptoms are now relieved. And the question then at that point becomes do you want to keep going up on your dose? Simply, a lot of people will say no. In my opinion, if your symptoms are gone, even if your numbers Mm -hmm. are still subpar, your symptoms are gone. I'm not concerned that it's subpar, right? Because your symptoms have been relieved. I would say you stay on the dose you're on now and not go up just because your numbers haven't hit that normal range. It may never hit that normal range again. Yeah. Yeah. So that's a conversation I typically have to have and say, look, yes, the number is still low, but you feel great. Why are we going up on the dose? (laughs) Why take more when you don't need it? You know what I mean? And that's a great point right there, because one of the other questions is, what are the side effects of these hormones? And are the side effects dose dependent? So 
if you are on a lower dose, will you maybe not have side effects? And if you're on a higher dose, you might have more side effects. Yes. So I brought this card just so you can see. Usually I'll give them this card. You probably can't see it on here. But I'll give them this little card and it has like the symptoms on it. You can't see it, but I'm just showing it. So usually I'll give them this. So if you have, say, for example, you had a higher dose of estrogen, some of the symptoms you see with higher dose, some people will have vaginal bleeding. Some people will have significant tenderness in their breasts or just fullness, almost like the sensation you get when your period's going to come on, you know, your breasts feel a little fuller. But in this instance, it will be, you haven't had a period, you're fully menopausal, but now you're having these symptoms, right? That will be a sign that your dose may be too high. So usually we know that the dose might be high if they're coming back with symptoms and saying, hey, I didn't have this before, but now I do. And then the other thing I'll do with them is work directly with their primary physician. So before we do anything, I want to get their last, you know, pelvic exam, their last breast exam, their last physical exam that they had with their primary doctor, any lab work they had in the last 24 months. And then I go over it with them that first visit. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's weird because I'll go over the things with them and say, hey, what are you doing about your cholesterol is high? And they'll be like, I didn't know my cholesterol was high, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, because maybe they've never requested a blood work before or they had it done. But it, I don't know, maybe it was told to them, but then they forgot. We know patients can forget. <laughs> I'll review everything I received from their primary doctor, go over everything in that first session with them. And then we start from there. So we'll also, Mm -hmm. you know, look at their liver function, look at their kidneys, you know, look at all their, where Mm -hmm. they're starting and then give them the card and say, Hey, if you're having these symptoms, like for progesterone, if you're feeling increased drowsiness, you know, if you're having more hot flashes, maybe the hot flashes had gone away, but now it's just popped up again. Things like that. If there are any new things coming up that you didn't have before, then we'll go back to the drawing board. Most times we'll reduce the dose or either go every other day, we play around with the dosing to see if the symptoms will go away. Another thing is if there are symptoms that are popping up after you've gotten on the treatment, I then have to make sure we go through all the possibilities. What's causing this? This could be nothing to do with what we're doing. Mm -hmm. It could be a completely different medical problem. So I'm always thinking about that as well. But those are some of the things you might get if you overdose, because some people think a little bit is good, more is better, right? <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, I did two drops and I felt good. Let me pull four. <laughs> I know, sis, I did not tell you to put four, you know, and it's like that. So a lot of times side effects will come from people either doing more than they should have. And these are some of the things that we have. It could be drowsiness. It could be now getting more mood swings or the breast tenderness or bleeding or anything like that. Like, especially if there's bleeding, vaginal bleeding, I want them to make sure it's not something like, you know, a cancer or, you know, something more serious. Make sure they don't have fibroids. Make sure they don't have, you know, something else that's now developed because sometimes people are on this for years. And then a new symptom come up. You can't just assume the new symptom that you're having is because of the hormones. It could be something completely different. So then we go down that list of possibilities. Is it very common to have symptoms? Would you say that 100% of people will have symptoms and then you adjust the dose and then it gets better? 
or is it like maybe 50% of people will have? Oh my gosh. I would say less than 10%. Oh, I don't, okay. it's, it's not because we're being very <laughs> judicious with this, right? We're not like just throwing stuff at people. You're doing little bits at a time, at least the way that we practice it. So that as soon as you get to that minimum dose that gets you the result we're looking for, that's it. You stop adding at that point. So in the beginning, it's kind of like a titration, mm-hmm. right? You might do one drop of the estrogen in the morning and in the evening, one drop of the progesterone at night. The progesterone is usually giving at night. So if you're on testosterone as as well, we'll add the testosterone in there. You start with the one, you do that, you know, for a few days, it's like a titration. So we keep going up slowly until we get to the point where, and they get another card with the titration instructions. For the first seven days, do this. For the next seven days after that, do this. You know, so we give them the breakdown of how it's going to work. Once they get to a point where they feel great, that's where they stop adding. And that's your dose. And then, you know, I meet with them again another four weeks. So, you know, the beginning is a lot of sort of like a dance, right? Mm -hmm. I'm seeing what they're doing. I'm checking in, you know, with them until we get them to that happy place where they feel great. And then the titration stops. I was going to ask you this question and then I almost forgot. And then now somebody else has this question. So my specific question was, does the hormone, bioidentical hormone replacement work for the belly fat? Okay. That was my question. But the other question is, are there any other tips other than diet and exercise to fat, to fight the new stomach fat that happens in menopause? So variations of the same question. Okay. So when you do the hormonal, you know, replenishment, what happens is it's not just the weight management that's improved. The weight management improves. I don't think it's because you're on the supplements. I think it's because you feel better. You know, you're getting better sleep. And especially if you're making the dietary changes that I'm talking about, you're getting better sleep. You don't have the fatigue, right? Mm -hmm. You have a, you have more energy. You feel vibrant. You feel alive. You're like, holy crap, I'm back. (laughs) So when all of those other things that were kind of just draining you and pulling you down goes away, you now have that new feeling of, okay, I feel back to myself and I can go and I can do these things. When you're moving more and you don't have these things kind of, you know, these, I guess you can call it a hindrance, right? That's kind of in the way or blocks that are in the way. Then you get to start doing the work that you would do normally that would work. When you were working out in your 20s, you didn't need to do a whole lot, right? (laughs) You would just go a little bit and you'll see results. But you had great hormone balancing then. When you're 45 or 50 and you're trying to go and get that snap back and the hormones are not acting right, (laughs) then it doesn't work. So when you do the replenishment of the hormones, it just kind of elevates you back to, I don't want to say it takes you back to like when you were 20 or 30, but it puts you in a hormonal state where you're now able to do the work to see the difference. So it's not that just doing the hormones is going to immediately make your belly fat go away. You will still need to do the work to make it go away, but now you have the energy to do it. Now, you you know what I mean? Now you feel better. You feel stronger. You have more sleep. You feel you're just more Mm -hmm. optimized to be able to see the results once the hormone replenishment happens. I hope that helps. I hope that answers the question. Yeah. Yes, yeah. Me. That makes plenty, plenty of uh, responses getting likes and hearts. 
it's a struggle. And you think back, you, you know, sometimes you think back to, you know, when you were younger, you could just stop eating carbs or stop eating sugar for a week and drop five pounds. Girl, you feel like, I got this. <laughs> Not anymore. It takes a lot more work now. And that's why when you really make the adjustment in your meal plan, then when you have the replenishment of the hormones, it's so much easier to see the results because now not only have you corrected the original problem, which is this deficit you have in the hormones, but now you're doing the work that normally you would have done, you know, 20 years ago and you can see results right away, but you also now have this new mindset. It's not just a oh quick fix. It's a at least the way I, you know, because the people I work with, some of them coming from menopause and become fitness clients, and then some of them coming from fitness and become menopause clients. So I have a good amount of them that are kind of overlapping. And then some of them that are just doing one or the other. But the point is, when you now have this new mindset around eating, it's not just to have a quick fix. It's look, this is the rest of my life. I'm doing this for longevity. I'm doing this so I don't get diabetes. I'm doing this because that abdominal fat is telling a story. It's not just abdominal fat. It's increased mm-hmm. risk for heart disease. It's increased risk for diabetes. It's all these things that when you have more abdominal circumference that comes with it. So when you make these dietary changes, you're making it for the rest of your life. That's the story that I want you to take away from it. It's not, yes, we want to have the snapback. We all do. But the bigger thing is you also want to just be healthier in general because a lot of us have the family history. I have a family history of diabetes. My dad passed away from diabetes complications. So I want you to also remember that is you're doing this for your overall wellness and also to lose the belly fat, but to just be in a better state of wellness in general. Yeah. In terms of wellness, I wanted to ask if there are any other benefits outside of decreasing menopausal symptoms for hormone replacement, like in terms of your heart, your Absolutely. Yes. So it's heart protective, it's bone protective, it's brain protective. So remember, a lot of us, as we go into our older years, there's bone demineralization happening osteoporosis. We're lucky. (laughs) Many of us have that big bone, right? They say, oh, big bone. Listen, be happy for your big bones. (laughs) They are supporting your skeletal structure and they will support you as you get older. So a lot of women that are, say, you know, your Caucasian women, your East European women, you know, that may have a higher propensity to have the osteoporosis and the early signs of it, a lot of them will see major benefit, anyone actually, but that particular population will see more of the demineralization and the osteoporosis and all those things early. So this is very supportive for them. But even African descent people have denser bones. Look at this. You see these cheekbones? <laughs> right? Um, people pay money to replicate those cheekbones. <laughs> right? But yeah, so we may not see the same degree of bone loss, but the bone loss is still happening. And mm-hmm. replacing the hormones, is it's going to improve your bone density, improve your bone health, your heart health, your brain health. Right. So those are areas that definitely you have improvement. And that's what you're seeing when you get on the supplement, your mental fog is going to go away, be a little sharper just in your 
focus and things like that. So yes, those are the other benefits you can see. Okay. Yeah. So I think that that answers the question about, well, I mean, I'll ask it specifically. So do you recommend hormone replacement for women with minimal symptoms or should you wait until your symptoms get worse? Or if it's something I've turned people away, (laughs) I was like, girl, stop. Like, really? <laughs> you know, because is sometimes people just want to have nothing. I don't want to feel anything. <laughs> and I'm like, but how frequently are you having this? Is this once a month? Like if you're having a hot flash once a month, not saying it's not valid because it is, but that isn't disrupting your life. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? If it gets to the point where it's disrupting your life, where you are not getting adequate sleep, your partner is looking at you like you're some wild, crazy woman. <laughs> like, who did my wife go? You know, <laughs> if it's really affecting the way you go through life, I would say definitely get the support at that point. Or if you feel like it's escalating, maybe before you were having symptoms once every couple of weeks, but now it's like every day, even if it's not affecting your life in a way where like, you can function normally, but it's just very frequent and you want to deal with it. Yes. I would say do it for those reasons. But if it's minimal, I don't even know what's minimal to each person. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Minimal to me would be maybe once a week. I'm not getting hormone therapy for a once a week thing. That's just me. But if Mm -hmm. it was every single night and I can't get a good night's sleep and I'm in meetings, like just hot. And I had a patient in the ER one day who had her very first hot flash. And I was working in an army base, you know, on a military base. And she's a very high ranking officer and she lost it in the meeting. She thought she was having a heart attack. They brought her down and then talked. Um, I'm glad I got to see her that day because somebody else might not have known what was going on with her. And if it's something like that, where you're in meetings and you can function, you know, like you're sweating, you're distracted by it. So it really mm-hmm. needs to be something where you feel like it's disrupting your life, where mm-hmm. you really feel like you don't know when it's coming on. You don't want to be in a situation where you're embarrassed because you're having this episode and it's having happening repeatedly. You know what I mean? I would say if it's disrupting your life, then yes, if it's minimal and you can manage and you can find, you know, ways to deal with it, then that's something to consider. Yeah, you can always clip a, a fan to your shirt. Like, <laughs> like you're She's like, oh, it's just my fan. I mean, she had no, like, she was like, oh, oh it's every day. <laughs> yeah. I was like, okay. <laughs> if it works for you, I love it. <laughs> right, right. So how late is too late to start hormone replacement therapy? It's never too late. You saw my 73-year-old lady coming for her. <laughs> You know, she's like, look, I just want it to be, <laughs> hey guys, I just want it to be wet. <laughs> I damn near died. I was like, wow. Okay. Did it work? Did it work? <laughs> Did her hormone therapy work for that one symptom? Yes, it would. Yes. It worked. Okay. Yes, it would. So it basically works across the board. So it's not going to pick and choose. You know what I mean? Like if it works, it works. So any symptoms that you're having, once you get your replenishment, you know, on, and that's the other thing I wanted to mention. I've had some women I've worked with, like one of the physicians I worked with, she did a year. And then after a year, she was like, let me just not do it. 
and see how I feel. And she's been great since. So it's not like you have to be on it forever. And I've had people the opposite where two months after stopping, symptoms came back. So with this type of work, it's no one size fits all. Every person's going to have a completely different experience. Mm-hmm. So why do you think that there's still some hesitancy or skepticism? I can only speak for our, our community because that's who I know around women either talking about this or us normalizing it and just, you know, making it just something that's just normal, that this is an option, you consider it. And if your symptoms are causing you issues, you know, you go for it. Yeah. You know, I feel that it's education or lack thereof, right? There's so many things for our community that people go on like folklore, (laughs) you know, like the old wives tales and, oh, when this happens, you do this. So you do that. And a lot of that is still ingrained in many of us that when it comes to a particular topic, most people just have in their mind how to deal with it. And that's kind of stuck from childhood or how you saw your aunts or your grandmother or your mom deal with it. And you just assume that's the way you do it. So if you don't have the awareness, if you don't have the education, if you don't believe that it could work for you, and if you don't know anyone else who's done it and it's worked for them, then the the hesitancy is going to be there. Mm -hmm. It's going to be there just because it's not something you've seen around you growing up. You didn't see anyone else do it. You don't know anyone else who's done it. So you have that sort of trepidation like, oh, you know. And I also talk about the risk because people will say, oh, I've heard if you did hormone replenishment, you're going to get cancer, this and that. And I will always take them back to studies, those studies that they did where they thought that, you know, the hormone replenishment actually increased people's risk for cancer has been refuted years ago, like 18 years ago, showing that actually the hormones that were in question are not even hormones that are used today. Those were synthetic hormones, and they're not even hormones that are being used in the replenishment programs that we have today. So people are still kind of stuck on a study that was flawed, a study that wasn't even correct, and that's what they run with. Oh, I heard this, and then that's what they run with and believe it to be true. When it's been 18 years since that particular study you know, has been proven to be inaccurate. I think another thing is that a lot of physicians don't necessarily talk to their patients about this because I think like especially older physicians who were around when those studies came up, the one about heart disease with just the unopposed estrogen and then the breast cancer and all of those things, I think they may have gotten confused (laughs) and just are silent about it because Mm -hmm. they don't feel like they have all of the current knowledge to be able to recommend it. So I think that might be happening too, that people's doctors aren't necessarily telling them that this is an option. And a lot of physicians don't know what to do with this because this is not their area of expertise. If you deal with an internal medicine doctor who sees adults and they don't have any background in menopause wellness, they may not tell you to go and seek support from a menopause wellness expert because that's just not in the scope of their practice. That's just not in what they do. If you have an OBGYN, a gynecologist that you see, they may have options for you. I've had people come to me who said their gynecologist didn't really give them a whole lot of options. So that's why they showed up to me. 
right? Mm -hmm. So it's really, I don't want to say customer service and it's who you get, (laughs) but it's almost like that. It's really almost who you get. It's like, Mm -hmm. depending on who your provider is and how well they know this area, it's really going to determine how much they root for you to get the services you need. So it's almost taking ownership of this and saying, hey, my doctor has not said anything about this, but I know now as you're listening to this, you know now that there are ways to do better, to get better results. So then you start asking your doctor, hey, what do you know about this? Who in your area? Because the other thing with these prescriptions, the person prescribing it has to have a license in the the state you live in. So I have six licenses because I'm a traveling ER doc. So I have six medical licenses in you know six states. So I can only treat people in those six states that I have a license in. So if you want to get this, you will need to work with someone who has a license in the state that you live in. Mm-hmm. I cannot believe we only have like 10 minutes left. So if anybody has any questions, uh, make sure you put them in the chat now. But I had two other questions that I wanted to ask. One of them is, I just heard something recently about when you're after a woman after 50 or women who are menopausal need more recovery time after working out. I just wanted to get your opinion on whether or not that's true. Need more recovery time after working out. Hmm. I wonder what's the, I don't know this to be true. So I can't say definitively yes or no, but what I've seen in my practice and in the women that I work with, I have clients up to late fifties, even clients that are late thirties, early forties. If you haven't worked out for a long time, if you've you know had a long period of just inactivity, it's going to take you longer to recover. As your stamina builds up, as your endurance builds up, as you start to do all the practices, increase hydration, better sleep, even adding maybe some branch chain amino acids, you know, to your drink, you know, to your water as you're exercising, adding some supplements in there. So as you're doing all those things, your recovery will be quicker. And you'll see that you have even less soreness, right? So if you're doing more hydration, better stretching, elongating those muscles after the workout, because especially if you're doing strength training, every time you use the resistance, the weights and things like that is tightening the muscles and they're shortening. But after that, you want to stretch. You want to stretch everything. You want to hydrate and you want to get proper sleep. Because during sleep is where your muscles are actually toning and sculpting. During sleep is where your body's producing more growth hormone, which is what we really need for our, you know, to feel youthful. During sleep is where the muscle recovery is happening. So if you're killing your sleep or having less sleep, or you just feel like, oh, I can do fine on five hours. If you do all the workout and you don't get the sleep component down, you're shooting yourself in the foot right? Because you're not getting that period of restoration when all the good stuff you've done during the day actually starts to, you know, you start to see the benefit that happens during sleep. So in these last few minutes, I want you to share a little bit about what you do, what your practice is like. And then we have a question here that says, where can we find the information or what are some good resources? Where can you find these information specifically just on menopause? All right, I'll assume that's what they mean. I mean, American College of Obstetrics and Gynecology, their website will have a good amount of menopausal information there. So you can check that. And um, as far as what to do as far as intervention, 
you know, you have what I mentioned before, the diet, you know, the anti-inflammatory diet and things like that. You can definitely do the supplementation, you know, that we already talked about. The biggest place I would say to go would be the American College of Obstetrics and Gynecology. If you just go in that search bar and you type in whatever your question on menopause is, things will pop up there. I have a website that gives you some information there as well. You can also listen to some testimonials of people who've had this replacement and the changes they've seen. So if you go on the, I think you guys have the links for the landing page so they can go on there and just hear what women are saying that is happening for them after they started doing this hormone replenishment. And as far as what the work I do, so when women come to me, as I had alluded to before, I get like an intake of who they are, what their symptoms are. I'll tell them if they're a good candidate or not. (laughs) Sometimes they're not happy when I tell them they're not a good candidate because they're just not having enough symptoms that I feel would be enough for them to do this. But yes, if they're a good fit, then I give them an agreement, tell them what I would expect from them to get from their primary doctor. I'm not their primary doctor, but I will work with their primary doctor to make sure that we optimize their treatment. I'll prescribe the oils for them, and then we will have subsequent visits to make sure that their dose is where it needs to be. Once they get to that dose, then it's kind of like the quarterly Every quarter, we'll check in if they need a refill, that kind of thing. And if they're having no symptoms for two or three of those quarterly visits, then it goes to twice a year, and then it goes to once a year. And then if something new pops up, we can have another, you know, consultation. But it kind of, you know, we taper it out so that we're not doing visits all the time. Once we get to that point where you're sort of in your happy place. Mm-hmm. Thank you. That makes a lot of sense. So for those people who are not good candidates because they don't have enough symptoms, in addition to exercise and diet, do you recommend any other natural remedies for them? You know, it depends on what their symptom is. So if it's mm-hmm. a symptom of mood swings or if it's a symptom of, let's just say hot flashes, but once in a while, if it's a mood swing thing or if it's irritability, then a lot of times I'm asking them to kind of get to the crux of it. What is it that's really irritating you? What is it that's really triggering you? If it's more of like the mood part of it, if it's something where it's just vaginal dryness, we can give them lubrications. We can give them, you know, things to use just for that specific symptom. Okay. Do you recommend black cohosh? Hmm. Uh, What are they using it for? Hot flashes. It works. Some people, it doesn't. Make sure if you have any other medications that you're on, Let your primary doctor know, because that's the thing. You don't want to be on other medications and your doctor doesn't know you're taking these things. If it works for you, then let your doctor know, hey, I'm taking this for my hot flashes. It helps me, but I just want you to know so you can have it on my list as one of the things that I'm taking. Okay. And your favorite lubricant, your favorite lube. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh. So, I mean, the good old KY. Don't use Vaseline. <laughs> Get one of the actual ones. You know, you could do the KY. You could go in the where they have the condoms. Usually they'll have lubricants there that are actually safe, that are gynecology tested and, you know, things like that. So you want to get one of those because you don't want to use something. If you are also using condoms, that's going to decrease the integrity of the condom. Right. Don't be using house oils. <laughs> from the kitchen you know, and things like that. Go spend the money. 
all right, and get a regular lubricant in the supermarket, in the pharmacy, wherever. But I mean, I don't have a specific one. Just make sure, read the bottle, make sure that it's been tested, you know, and stuff like that. Make sure that you're getting one that has a good reputation. The KY is fine. I can't even remember some of the other ones now. Put some other ones out in there. In the <laughs> I know, I know. What do you have any recommendations that have, that you think are good? The question was specifically about natural. I mean, I think most of them are, you know, water based and fairly natural. I don't think they put a lot of you know chemicals in lubricants but yeah i I mean most of them i don't know of anyone that i've heard any disasters with when i've seen any kind of a issue specifically being an er doctor i see a lot of sexual show people showing up (laughs) in the er you know with random sexual things a lot of times it's not the lubricant itself it's some other thing they're trying Some other thing they're adding, maybe like some kind of flavor they've now added to it and now everything looks red and or something like that is typically not the lubricant itself. They're pretty hypoallergenic, most of them. So I haven't seen any one that really people have reactions to or anything like that, unless the couple is adding additional stuff. Yeah. Okay. Well, Thank you, Dr. Diana. This has been an amazing conversation. I have learned a lot. And if anybody would like to get more information, her website is right there, getmenopauserelief.com. And she also is on IG as Dr. Di Fitlife. So you can follow her on IG. You can follow her on Facebook. She has an amazing community on Facebook. You just by being in the community that she has, you'll get lots of information about fitness and workouts. And if you would like hormone replacement therapy, she's right here in the state. She has a license in Maryland. So you can also contact her for that. So let me tell them the other states. I don't know who's watching and where they are. So I'm licensed in Connecticut, West Virginia, Virginia, Maryland, Florida, and Maine. Okay. So only in those six states that I can provide them with the prescription. If not, they can just talk to their primary doctor to refer them to someone in their own state. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule. And we'll have to figure out what the next topic will be so we can have you back again. (laughs) (laughs) It was truly an honor to be here. Yes. Yay. Good night, everybody. Happy Friday. Have a good weekend. Thanks for conquering those limiting beliefs on another episode of the SOAR podcast. If you want to reach out to my guest, just check out the show notes and all of the contact information is there. If you want more information about Stephanie Brown coaching, go to www.stephaniebrowncoaching.com. And I'm sure you're already following the SOAR podcast Instagram page. But if not, just go to IG and type in Sisters Overcoming and Rising, all one word. Goodbye for now. 